0: Let me take just a moment to say thank you, as did Jennifer, for all the ways this congregation is so faithful in taking care of each other and in sharing concerns and prayers. Uh, It makes the difference uh, in a time like this, and uh, it makes a difference to us who are your pastors. Along with Pastor Bob, Pastor Jennifer and I, we're just so deeply grateful for you. Our scripture lesson is to be found in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verse 1 through 12. If you'd like to read the whole of the story, it goes through verse 41. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. While it's day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed, and then he went and washed, and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, no, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Shall we pray? Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Many of you will know our Mary Highland, who has recently published a book entitled, Insight Out, One Blind Woman's View of Her Life. In her book, she said a wonderful story of a time when she was in Norway with a ski for light program. Now, while skiing would have been impressive enough, There's also dancing involved. Mary writes, it was on the dance floor that I learned one of the most fascinating lessons of the week. A man who spoke no English and had only one arm asked me to dance. Because it was his right arm that was missing, I was intrigued as to how he would lead. Having studied ballroom dance, I knew that most of the leading was done with the man's right hand on the woman's back. The left hand does some of the leading as well, but in this case, his left pinky finger did it all. At first, I was concerned about how to approach the dance position. Should I put my left hand on his shoulder even though he won't be using an arm? He must have been used to this look of confusion and very calmly took my left hand and placed it on his right shoulder. Of course, how silly of me to not think of that. Then with my right hand in his left, he led me across the dance floor like a pro. I was awed at how he indicated that I should turn to the right or to the left just with the movement of one finger. Inside Out is filled with a directness and an honesty that speaks to a deep awareness and discovery that is so much who Mary is. Now, while she may be blind... She's one of those persons that has an astute ability to really see. I couldn't help feeling like those of us with sight just might be those who see more poorly than we might. Such can certainly be said of our blind man's encounter with Jesus. On the surface, the scripture is about a blind man who miraculously healed by Jesus shows up in a wonderful, complex healing story. This blind story is the only one in John, but it matches with six others in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All of them begin and end with a man once blind who can now see. However, unlike the other stories, this one does not begin with a blind man begging for mercy. Nor does John's blind man speak until after he's healed. There's therefore no request. And he's not led there by any compassionate friends. It is Jesus who sees him. Jesus, the one clearly seeing in our story and acknowledging the need that is present. And here, the real blindness begins to be revealed. As usual, our disciples are distracted by their assumptions of what's going on. They stop and ask, Rabbi, Rabbi, whose sin, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? Jesus essentially answers their question twice. He answers them first in word and then in action. First, he rejects any notion that sin has anything to do with this man's suffering. In other words, it's not even a legitimate question. To paraphrase, Jesus says, while we're here, we've got this kind of work to do. For the one who sent us, I am the light of the world. In other words, this is what we do. Then his action as second response is one of deep mercy. He always, always addresses the pain or whatever it is that keeps people broken or separated Jesus comes right out and puts the blind man at ease, saying, As long as I'm here in this world, this is what I've got to do. And as long as I'm here, this is what's going to happen. So he spits on the ground, makes mud from the dirt, and places it on the blind man's eyes, instructing him to go wash This wonderful story goes 41 verses in which Jesus is accused of sinning by kneading the mud on the Sabbath. It's a questioning of the man's parents and their denial of knowing anything about it. What happened here? Next, they question the man himself. How did this happen to you? Basically, he says, I don't really know. He put this mud on my eyes and said, go wash. And then they drove the poor guy out of town. They were asking dangerous questions. And his answers made his parents bail. His community didn't recognize him, and they get him shut out of town. Even so, the blind man sticks to his story. I was blind, but now I see. Not even understanding himself, he simply must tell the truth as he knows it. It's a really good time to ask the question, how's our sight today? on monday i read a wall street journal article in which it started out by saying america has begun to shut itself down in a matter of days the coronavirus pandemic has reshaped american society unmooring people from the routines and activities that typically provide comfort in moments of crisis work worship concerts sports gathering with friends and family, the embrace of loved ones. It feels a little like we're in a snowstorm, an invisible but present blizzard where it's not safe to go outside, said by the Roman Catholic Bishop of Albany who was writing to his diocese. Home's the safest place to weather a storm. By Saturday, the country had slid into a collective retreat from public life as tens of millions of people settled in to wait, alone, together, for an invisible threat with no clear end in sight. Change came swiftly as new cases emerged and businesses and public officials pivoted, first assuring people of extra efforts to keep restaurants and shops clean, then abruptly shutting down stores and restaurants. And we know even more since then. So, my friends, that's what is going on, no doubt about it. And like the disciples, we might be tempted to know where the day and ask, where's the sin lie? Is it in China's delay in speaking out? Is it the lack of health kits for testing? Who's to blame for the economy? Shame and blame appear to be rampant. How a virus could up in the whole world will be a question for a very long time and only history to answer. Who sinned? We might be pointing fingers for generations to come. No doubt it's hard to see where all of this is going, where it will end, how it will impact us, or for years to come. Folks are frightened and they're worried. It's the only explanation my friends I have for why people would hoard toilet paper. So let's just take a hint from Jesus. It's time for a word of light. And it's certainly time for a response based in mercy and compassion and understanding. So let's start by mixing a little mud. Let's realize that we do have the power of Jesus in all of this dirt and mess. Let's mix it up so that clarity can be given. Don't we believe that Jesus sees us and is responding to our need? What we have is a choice here. We can ask the impossible questions about who, when, why, and what this coronavirus is gonna do, or we can bear witness to the fact that Christ is still our light. Jesus makes it clear in this scripture that he does see us. He makes no bones about who sinned, who qualifies for healing, or who may or may not deserve it. He declares, I am the light, and in this work, God will be revealed. With that, Jesus spits in the dirt, making his mud, And with his eyes open, the blind man is instructed to make his way to a new life. One of the things I love about this story is that Jesus needs nothing other than our need for sight, for the lights to be turned on. Period. No thanks is required, no acknowledgement of his great gifts. Jesus offers nothing but love, nothing but love. His abiding, healing, and restoring presence without even being asked. And what Jesus did for us is what we're asked to do for and with each other. To see Jesus and keep the lights on for each other. One of the great gifts of this crisis, and yes, I did say great gifts, is that we as people of faith have been deeply reminded of the light that we have. When everything seems so off balance and fearful, we are not without vision we're not defined by the anything of the darkness but by the very power of Christ among us. Does it feel like everything is a moving target? Why yes. Are these anxious times? Absolutely. And yet, right now, our church team is making sure that nursing homes and homebound folks are being regularly contacted. Stephen ministers are making calls to bunches of people who fall into the vulnerable category so that we're checking on our family widely. Devotions are going out daily and a number of you have called to say, give me something to do. When the coronavirus is no longer the front page story and it's no longer consuming our lives, I would love for us as a church family to look back and say, we were about the works of him who sent me. We made every effort to be the light of the world. Like Jesus, this is what we do. And like Jesus, let our response to this crisis be mercy, compassion, and grace. It would just be so easy to look back in this time in history and define it only as crisis. We seem to have such a penchant for defining times and people, even ourselves, in terms of the problem. It's just really normal. If we had any question about how normal this is, look at what happens to the poor man who's trying to receive his sight. After his sight is restored, some of his friends and neighbors don't recognize him. In spite of his protest, no, it's me, It's, it's, it's really me. Isn't it odd that people who knew him well, as a blind man, can't recognize him once he's recovered his sight? Or maybe it isn't quite as odd as we think. How often, I wonder, do we define almost everything around us in terms of shortcomings, challenges, or perceived deficits? That woman's unemployed, that man's divorced, she's a single mom, he's a high school dropout, he's a failure, she's an alcoholic, she has cancer, he's depressed. Right now, we feel completely defined by our national, state, and local officials and their failure or by the inconvenience that they've cost us. We don't see them, do we, as anything more than what they have cost us or failed to do. Right now, mercy is our challenge. And we are not defined by what we can't do. We say we can't see each other. We can't eat together. We can't be within six feet of each other. We can't have church together. We can't take communion. Can't, can't, can't. Let me just remind us, dear ones, Jesus was never defined by can't and neither should we be. One of the loveliest stories about Dietrich Bonhoeffer takes place while he's in prison in Nazi Germany. He was arrested for his dissidence against Hitler and as an active member of the resistance. It was on Easter morning in 1945, only eight days before his execution that Bonhoeffer wanted to have communion with his cellmates following their verbal Bible study because there was no Bible and they weren't supposed to be worshiping. And there was certainly no bread and there were no communion cups. What they did have was a guard who offered to be the distraction outside the cell so that as their worship continued, they could have communion. Now, remember, I said, there is no bread and there's no cup. And yet Bonhoeffer took his empty hands. He broke the bread and he offered the cup. And that morning they feasted and they were thankful. So dear ones, you and I are gonna have communion right now. If Bonhoeffer could do it, so can we. I'm going to bless the elements and then serve you. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke it, and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it and he gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, O Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the blood, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to the world until Christ comes in victory and we all feast at his heavenly banquet. This is the body of Christ, broken for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of him. And since this cup is poured out for us, you can take the whole thing. And you can drink your fill. This is the blood of Christ poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. <laughs> drink it till it's dry. Oh, difference! the world so needs to be reminded of the light we have. The Savior who sees us. Let's redefine this crisis, not by the fear, the chaos, or anxiety it has created, but by the mud in our eyes, placed there by Jesus, giving us new eyes to see, full mercy to share, and healing to give. I want to close with this little poem written by Kitty O'Meara, sent to me by Lee Strait. It says this, And the people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still and listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed some danced, some met their shadows. And the people began to think differently, and the people healed. And in the absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, mindless, and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed, And the people joined together again. They grieved their losses and made new choices and dreamed new images and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. Beloved, here's to the mud in your eye. Thanks be to God. Amen.